0: Hi, I'm Lydia Lunning, I'm Morgan McBride, and I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, a look behind the curtain at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Hi, and welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. Today, we're talking to Dr. Lede Alexander, um, and we're gonna get the inside scoop on how she got to where she is and how she stays at the top. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Lede. Um, I wanna start with just letting you introduce yourself. Tell us uh, what your job title is, where do you work, um, and anything else we need to know right at the beginning.
1: Okay, hi Michelle, thanks for having me. Um, I I feel very um, honored and glad to be sharing this platform with you. Uh, My name is Lede Alexander, Um, some pronounce it Lide depending on which you choose, either way is fine. I'm the Director of Campus Operations with Chamberlain University. And when people ask me what I do, I just, in summary, It's really to um, ensure that the school is healthy on all facets and also to ensure business continuity for the school. So in
0: 2020, saying that your business is healthy has a slightly different context. So working in education in particular, talk to me about how COVID has changed that part of your job. Well, I mean, COVID...
1: We all know it came with some negative, you know, and painful um, characterization or connotation, whichever way you wanna um, um, address it. But I think that it has um, improved or enhanced the virtual piece of education. It caused some sort of involvement in the education arena. To the point where I believe even after post-COVID, even post-COVID, we would stay, you know, in the hybrid mode. And, you know, in general, most educational uh, organizations um, particularly prefer the traditional um, mm-hmm. sense of education. And even outside of United States, uh, for instance, West Africa, they tend to Um, embrace the traditional going to school daily um, Mm -hmm. form of education versus virtual. But COVID has forced everybody into embracing the virtual platform of educating, you know, students. And I think it added to us. Yes. For the younger children, it may take away because it's harder to teach them online because of that social... Um, piece that is missing, which the social education for them is quite important. But I think for higher
0: education, it's added. I think that's interesting because that's sort of that mirrors what's happened in the, the private hiring sector, that a lot of organizations were kind of on that cusp of working from home and they were still a little nervous about remote working and now with COVID, everybody's just been thrown in head first. And oh look, people did do work and things did happen. And I think that overall as a sort of business world, we're a lot more comfortable with the fact that we don't have to be sat in the same room for things to happen anymore. So I think that's really interesting that that is getting mirrored in the educational world as well. In
1: in general, it enhanced people. People that thought they couldn't function or be productive um, virtually, they found out they could be. So it's interesting. Yes, we we don't like it. We don't want it. But it, it did force us into a different realm.
0: It is amazing what one can achieve from one's kitchen tables the day. <laughs> yes. 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 I completely understand. So we've talked a little bit about what you do. Talk so then one of the questions that everybody always wants to know that is always personal, and I don't expect you to answer directly. How do you respond? People ask you how much do you make?
1: Well, I say I'm comfortable. <laughs> however, however, I would like to Increase my earning power so okay. that I can uh, be more
0: helpful within my community and help other people. Okay. So you and the kids are eating fine, but uh, there's always room for more. That's what I heard. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. That's very fair. Um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting uh, about how you talk about uh, your work is one of the phrases that I've heard from you before is that you work in commodities, that the commodity just happens to be education. Yes. Talk to me about how, how that, what that looks like in terms of your leadership on a campus. So
1: I, I believe that um, you know, we are all in the people business. You know, we just like you said, we just our business, our product just happens to be education. So what is really important to me is treating both students, you know, new students, um, current students, maybe actually starting with treating our colleagues first, Mm -hmm. our students, the incoming and the current students and even our vendors that work with us, treating them with respect and knowing that they're customers, they're internal and external customers, and everybody is looking to be serviced. And they're coming, the students are coming to us because they believe that uh, we have what it takes. They trust our platform of getting them or getting them to becoming, you know, the extraordinary nurses that Mm -hmm. they they want to be are, Colleagues trust us that this will be a stable and a diverse environment for them to uh, grow. And then our vendors trust that we are good partners, that, you know, when they supply, we, we pay. <laughs> and, you know, and that is, is that customer piece. You can never take effective customer service away from any organization, regardless of what it is.
0: So I think that's so interesting because one of the things that we hear over and over again, and I know my alma mater sends me at least weekly emails about the fact that traditional higher educational institutions are struggling. And I went to an old bougie university that charges a ton of money and is prestigious to get into blah, blah, blah. And they're like, save us, we don't have any money. And at the same time, we're seeing this boom in for-profit Colleges that used to be the ones that the higher ed guys would thumb their nose at a little bit. Why is it is it that customer service piece is that what you think it is or what? How would you? Why do you think that's happening? I think it's
1: a survival test. So traditional universities, um, <laughs> we have some sort of. Um, I have to look for the right word. Entitlement that we are. An educational entity, and people want to come here. Mm-hmm. And so we've been around for 170 uh, exactly. years. Obviously, we, they're we have down. a brand. We're known, mm-hmm. and and you know we have different organizations that fund us, that want to fund us without us having to ask. You know, some we do raise funds also. For for-profit organization is is a little different because number one, the students are paying. Um, you know, a lot of money to come to school, and then we're highly regulated. And the mentality of for-profit organization is uh, what I wrote in my capstone program: is the school is a business first. So is that mentality that drives uh, for-profit organization? We're still about quality education. Um, I think we are just more open to bring in different demographics, to not only teach people uh, one way, but to understand that our students, some of them are adults, they have jobs, they have responsibilities before coming to school. Now coming to school is an added responsibility. Everything else does not disappear just because they're in school. So we have that understanding and we teach from that perspective of adult education, of having an understanding that you may not be living in your parents' house. You may be a mother yourself and you're trying to, you know, better yourself. So I think that, and also, you know, the enrollment process, you know, we, we, we are mindful of the reality of people and wanting to earn education versus just the, you leave your high school, then you go straight to college. You know, that, that's, that's really what drives for profit.
0: So I think part of what I heard there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that that you're just kind of more nimble in your approach from a leadership perspective, that you adjust with, you see not all of your students are the same, not all of their needs are the same, and you guys are just frankly better at adjusting and keeping up with that change moving goalpost than a 150 some odd year old institution that's been doing it broadly the same way for 150 years. So you're a big part of that for your campus. What do you do as a leader to help keep that fluidity, to keep that that mentality of of constant change and and adjustment within your leadership? So the first thing is transparency.
1: We have to be transparent on where we're going and we'll discuss that. Uh, For Chamberlain in particular, we operate from the standpoint of a culture of care. We have a teach value, which I believe is phenomenal, and and we we use that um, for everything that we do, which is the T is for teamwork, E is having the right energy, positive energy, Um, A is accountability, you know, you hold yourself accountable, and you're also held accountable. And then we are, you know, uh, we're committed to the community, and and we have heart in what we do. I start with the heart of talking to my people is first, are you committed? There's is one thing to have competency. It's another thing to have commitment. So I I rather have people that have high competent and
0: commitment and maybe not so high competence. I think one of the things that surprised me most about sort of getting to know you and researching you professionally was when I think, again, coming from all of my bias of, you know, Old school education that when I think about for profit education, I think of it as very much a commodity exchange. I want to be a nurse. You have a program that will let me be a nurse. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Yes. And then I did some research, and there's these videos of you and your staff with pom poms and megaphones rallying people in the square pre COVID, obviously, but you know, with giving out ice creams on hot days and doing the kinds of emotive hey let's love where we are kind of things that you see and expect in those traditional education institutions and i guess i was just really i was surprised and heartened is that all part of this like rallying the heart thing that you're talking about is that part of your greater strategy there
1: yeah that was actually before i got to timberland but (laughs) uh, No, 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 but it's still within another um, educational um, entity. I'll say this. For me, I mean, why do we go to school? The major reason why we go to school is so that we can acquire knowledge, become better, and then, you know, in our own personal lives, in turn, become better citizens. That's it.
0: You know, I think that's really, that's so interesting because... I've had, my sister and I are very opposite in all the ways. Um, But in particular, I, in my heart, and I'm an academic. If I could live in an ivory tower and just read Proust all day, I would be a very happy woman. That just doesn't pay very well today. So my sister, on the other hand, is a pragmatist. She wants to do X. In order to do X, she needs a piece of paper that says she knows how to do X. Great, what is the easiest point from here to there? And it's two very different sort of philosophic approaches to education i like learning because i think it's fun and for the sake of learning she likes learning as a tool to get her where she wants to be and i think that the older i get and hopefully slightly wiser the more i appreciate that there is this spectrum and this continuum of of those kind of opposite values and and that people need to be catered to at all all, all realms of that um i'm interested to hear it am i am i crazy would you agree what what's your yeah, experience
1: you know i agree with you but there's there's just this underlining of human factor of wanting to improve yeah so and and really that that's education you know i i believe that human beings have the natural tendencies to want to learn and we all can learn we just We educators just have to find out how people learn. Everybody is capable of learning, regardless of who you are. So I I think that, you know, in going to school, either you know what you want to go for or what you want to be and that's all you want, you don't want any other general courses, or you just enjoy the social aspect of school and, you know, grabbing and learning things out of the, you know, as you go on, I think it's still, there's still one common phenomena that you want improvement for yourselves whether intellectually whether financially whether socially every human being wants that so and that's why in general that's how i came to that conclusion that you know we go to school to enhance or better ourselves but in turn really we become better citizens because we have acquired
0: more knowledge
1: so i and have
0: more understanding I think that's super profound. And I, I, I'm i not being facetious. Like I really, I genuinely love that idea. So as a boss, then you have these people that work for you who based on that are still wanting to get better and do more. How do you make that happen within the finite realm of what you have to offer at a school because you can't promote everybody to your position ultimately you'd you'd like to continue to work so what do you do to help to tick that emotional box for them as a leader
1: so for me i I call myself a people developer naturally i like to see people you know be better develop Um, and you're right we don't have enough positions to promote everybody So upward mobility is not always the only mobility. So what I try, what I help them realize is you can still be in a particular position, but you can enrich what you do. Really where you work is the platform for you to become what you want to become. I tell them, I said, you know, when you look at your job description, everything from the beginning, you have, you know, do this, do that, maybe 10 or whatever. And then at the end, you have an, any other assignment as yeah. specified by your supervisor. Absolutely, other duties exactly. as
0: assigned. Yeah, Exactly,
1: other duties. <laughs> so everything before that is what you get paid for. You see that last sentence is what you do to get promoted. You have to find what that other duties are and how it works for you because they're not defined. So you are empowered to define them along with your supervisor so to me I, I tell anybody that is working with me i said you see those ones that I already described that's easy that's given but that last sentence you have to help define it that is what gets you promoted the first 10 or 20 gets keeps you employed but that last one gets you promoted so i i, I share that with them and You know, and also just in my mind, I believe organizations, we don't think about talent recycling. And in the process, people get tired if there is no upward mobility. Like I said, upward mobility is not the only mobility in moving up or developing.
0: So one of the great religious, arguments amongst hiring managers and and leaders and organizations is some people are firmly in the upper out camp that if I'm not developing you for your next role, then you're going to be exiting the organization and other managers um, are firmly in the we love campers so it's fine to stake out your little claim here and sit right there for 20 years as long as that is making you happy and you're doing a good job and my experience is that never the twain shall meet (laughs) that they are firmly one or the other in terms of how they see and feel about their stuff so i have obviously my own camp that i'm in there where where do you fall on the love campers or up and out
1: i think i love them all and, and, and that's, why, that's why I talk about talent recycling. Um, I think it's essential for you to have the high performance, but I also think it's essential for you to have the steady head- eddies. Yeah. The steady eddies you can depend on just within a certain confinement. They're not gonna do more than that, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> matter what you do, that's it. They're going to eight to five, not eight to 530.
0: Yep, and not, eight,
1: five, not 745. Not 7.45, 745. Yep. exactly, yep. but they will do 8 to 5, That's right. so you can depend on that. Now, your high performers are the ones that, you know, they'll take risk, they're ambitious, they want more, um, and then they, those are the ones that you can also groom, you know, maybe for managerial positions because they want it. You know, I, I tell my staff, I said, I cannot be more motivated than you are. If you want to move up, you have to be motivated. Then you, my motivation will match yours. It can't be higher than yours. Yeah. So I, I like them both. And within your steady eddies, um, and I've done this in, in previous positions, I have recycled positions. Like I realize that you've grown in certain area and you, I can see another area where you would be more productive, even yeah. though it's steady to you but it's going to be more productive for the organization. And I could help move, I've moved, I believe in moving people around as they
0: develop. I think that the, the whole like lateral, like keeping it interesting and that the a change is as good as a rest idea is a great one in that regard. I've seen so many organizations over the years lose amazing people because they couldn't respect that that person didn't want the traditional more. So, you know, they, um, people that were there for like 10 years and they're like, oh, you were grooming you for the next big things. And they're like, I don't want to be groomed. <laughs> and so, like, trying to force those square pegs into round holes, yeah. I always think is just a terrible idea. I'm all about campers personally. Yeah. I think some positions you don't want a camper. Anything sales, a, a camper is not. Something you're interested in. You need those people, competitive and hungry. But other positions, I think, lend themselves really well to campers or steady eddies, as you call them. And I think that that's absolutely fine. but it's about. I I agree with you. I'm in that camp um, as well. So, um, but I think campers are needed, actually.
1: In my opinion, you don't want I too many, so. but you need you need a couple. I you need, you need a couple, and and depending on the field in. That way, you know, if you say sales, you know you want more hungry people, go-getters and all that. But you also need the steady eddies that keep the office together because the go-getters can, they can leave you at any time. They can't just go and, and they, they're, they're that quick in decision making. Your steady eddies are like almost your root. Like they're st- you're not going to get much, but you're going to get dependability. The lights
0: will stay on. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, One of the things I know you're really passionate about is diversity and inclusion, and you've mentioned it a couple of times just in this conversation, and I think one of the things I wanted to ask you is right now diversity and inclusion is a buzzword and everybody is hiring diversity and inclusion so and so and they're totally going to be better this year, they swear. Um, And a lot of that is going to be virtue signaling, right? Like they don't really want change. They wanna hire somebody, probably a person of color, to sit in a role that's called diversity and inclusion and then have everybody think that now they're great people. So because this is a passion of yours, when you look at organizations, if somebody was really interested in working somewhere that was genuinely making an effort and didn't want to just fall for the, the um, virtue signaling, what should they look for?
1: So first, they have to ensure that
0: the organization,
1: that, that people's voices are represented in whatever the organization is doing. And then secondly, I would say that look at the employees and make sure that they represent diverse groups. You know, it could be et- ethnic groups, race, sex, whatever. And then I think it's also important that the organization, um, they they participate in social justice and they prioritize that. Um, If the organization you're with are not even speaking to diversity at all or any form of inclusion and going with what is happening even nationally, I, I will question their level of diversity. yeah. And then also to ensure that the awareness of diversity and inclusion is sustained. It's not a one-time talk. It's not an event. It is ongoing. It, it becomes part of the culture of the place. But not just, okay, the whole world is talking about diversity right now, so all of a sudden we're, all diverse because we're the platform and then we go back and you don't see anything and there's it's not true diversity
0: and that's so I there's been a bunch of kind of Facebook or LinkedIn posts and that kind of stuff from people in this space talking about uh, as diversity and um, inclusion specialists going for interviews and then being kicked back because they're not culture match like well of course I'm not all of your culture Looks exactly the same. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, I'm really worried that I can't even imagine how frustrating it would be to be excited and hired as a DI specialist right now where it's a buzzword and then get in there and be like, all right, here's 15 ideas that we're going to have yeah. to do something different. And then the organizations are like, oh, no, your job is really just to sit here. And be diverse. Yeah. You are the diversity. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are the difference.
1: Exactly, well, exactly. Well, you know, more importantly, Michelle, I, 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 I'm a firm believer, even before all the buzzwords and all that. I believe true diversity is ensuring that if for speaking to an organization, I will say that to ensure that your employees have a place to stand. That's all they're looking for. I don't care what they do. They're just looking for a place to stand within the organization. You would be amazed how culture sometimes stifle people and they, they're struggling to fit in the culture. They're, tra- they're struggling to find a place, but most leaders are not cognizant of that. And how do they find a place? You allow them to speak if you stifle people's voices you stifle their opportunity to find a place to stand within that environment so So
0: look for organizations that are that have multiple ways that they're listening multiple ways for employees to speak out and answer how they feel as a hiring manager if somebody asks those kind of questions in an interview for you, what, what is your impression of that? If they challenge you, so, you know, what do you do about diversity and inclusion? How do I get my voice heard in this position?
1: Well, I'll say from, do you want me to speak from my current position
0: or just yeah. again? Yeah, as a hiring manager, as a human being, <laughs> you're sat in the interview, I come in, interview, obviously I'm fabulous. Uh, you ask me if I have any questions for you and I say, I do actually, you know, um, I understand that obviously there is some diversity looking at yourself, but other than that, within the greater organization, how do I get my voice heard and, and know that I am valued for a different point of view within this organization? What, Regardless of how you, not think about how you would respond to that, but what is your impression then of me as a candidate? Is that, are you like, oh, that's a bit much or... Are you excited by a candidate that questions that? What's your thought? I'm excited because it shows me that the candidate
1: is not looking for a job, they're looking for a career. And they wanna make sure that that place is suitable for them. I, I like candidates that interview me and the organization, not just me doing the interview, because if you're not interviewing me, in my opinion, you're just looking for a job. Don't look for a job, make sure I'm the right, one leader that you want to have, make sure it's the right organization. So when you ask that question, to me, you are trying to find out, can this be a home? Can this be where I
0: could be stable? Yeah, I would agree. But I know people worry. And I think especially on issues like that, where a lot of organizations don't have a great track record that they worry that you know, bringing up something like that is going to be a black mark against them. So I am glad to hear that it's that the advice that I give my clients <laughs> is actually gonna resonate. It's a, well.
1: good, it's a good one. And believe me, a lot of managers and leaders sometimes struggle with diversity and inclusion. I think we, we all get the idea of it, but really understanding it, that it's, it's not always comfortable to, to truly practice it. Because you have to have enough personal humility and professional will to allow your people to speak. Regardless of how you feel, they, they're entitled to the opinion without you being subjective about it. And a lot of leaders do struggle with that.
0: Well, I am glad to hear that there's at least one leader who does not, Dr. Laday. So thank you so very much for all of your time and wisdom today. I've learned a huge amount, um, as I always do when, I, when we engage, I feel like. Um, so thank you so much for that. We will have uh, links to uh, Dr. Lede's uh, LinkedIn. So you can um, ask her for knowledge directly that way Um, and then also to her organizations. If you need any help with interviews, resumes, as always, we're here to help with that at ONH. Um, Thank you again and have a great day. Thanks. Very nice to be on here. Thanks. You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more insider info. Soon you'll be hearing us say, I'm Morgan McBride, and I want your job.
1: And I'm Lydia Lunning, and I want your
0: job. And I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.